Wonderful. Well, if I can have your attention, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 again. We're just in one of the craziest times at Calvary Chapel. Lots of good stuff happening, and in the midst of that, everybody is falling apart, which is just kind of a little strange. Um, anybody here where you're, you don't have a family member who has like a crazy problem, illness? Anybody? Somebody? Okay, no hands went up. So this is where we're at as a church. And um, so what's really been on my heart is just to work through Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. Romans 8 is probably the greatest chapter in the Bible, just for verse-by-verse awesomeness about the glories of Christ and what he's done in his salvation for us. And then verses 31 through 39 are the the cream of the cream of the cream of the cream of the cream. So this is the uh, chocolate coffee cheesecake of the dessert world. And so this is why we're going to just savor it and go as slowly as possible through there. It's the baby back ribs of the barbecue world. Thank you, Tony. Got it. So last week we went through some of verse 31. This week we're going to be looking at verse 32. And I am calling the church to memorize this passage, which means you. I am calling the church to memorize this passage. A few weeks ago I called the church to set up a lifestyle where we're every day in in the Word of God somehow. And that means you. And I want to say this isn't a challenge. Okay, there's a difference between a challenge and a call. A challenge is when you set an obstacle before somebody and you give them the opportunity to overcome it so that they can feel proud about themselves for having done something. This is not what this is about. This is not about accomplishing something difficult so that you can feel proud or as a failure. This is a calling to be who you are, which is a son or daughter of God meant to live off of the words of God. And this is a calling to do something good. Having the Word of God in your mind by memorization is just good. To be able to pull it up at any time and think about it and savor it and let it do its work in you is a good thing. So I'm calling you to a good thing, not challenging you to an accomplishment because I really want you to enjoy this. This is a gift from God, to have His Word and to be able to memorize it. There's a place in town where you can... um, go and they they serve this really big meal and i think it costs like 25 bucks or something but if you eat the whole thing you get it for free it's like the big ethel or the whole whatever that if you if you sit down to a meal that's too big to finish and you try to finish it so you get it for free that is a great way to not enjoy your meal amen if you sit down to like a eight patty hamburger and you have to, you're trying to finish it so that you can eat it for free, that's a great way to, to end up throwing up, but not enjoying the hamburger. So this is no challenge. I'm not challenging you to memorize this because that is a great way to ruin enjoying scripture, to make it about accomplishing something. This is a love gift from the Father to have trustworthy words from God himself to us, and we are blessed to have it in our mind so that the Holy Spirit can speak to us out of it as we think it over. Amen? That's not the message. I would love to, we're going to read this together. So we're going to read this all together, then we're going to come back to verse 32. 
which is our verse for the day. So I'm going to read this, and as you're willing and able, you're welcome to read it with me. Three, two, one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, excuse me, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, it's just so wise of you to have created, inspired, and preserved a book which is your revelation and communication to us that can be transported anywhere in the world and can be maintained from one generation to the next. Father, thank you. Father, I thank you that this word is trustworthy. So when we read it and talk about it, we are talking about your communication to us. And it is also compelling. Father, you want us to treat these words as your authoritative speech. And so, Father, thank you for this. And Father, I pray, like I often have, that you would complete the circle. That the same spirit that inspired the apostle to write this would be here with us and in us, to make us understand and to transform us by what these words mean, what you intended them to do, accomplish in our midst. And Lord, would you help me and use me, help me be faithful and useful to you in this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I realize that sometimes I can I can get up here and call people to do things like memorize, but never actually give any practical help. You wanted practical help? That's other people. That's Dave's job. Um, you didn't learn Greek to do practical help for anybody. Um, and so what I want to do is we're going to go to the next slide. And this is just a copy of verse 32 here. And I'm going to just show you how I would memorize something like this. It's not super technical, but I'm just going to memorize this in front of you so that you have at least something you can do to attempt to do this. And I find this really helpful. Um, it's like, you know, when you're painting, you, you don't just put one coat of paint on a wall, right? How many coats is the right amount of coats, Lisa? Okay. Instead of evading, how about you just give me a number? Let's, 
at least two coats, but if you really want that color to shine, you can keep putting layers on there. And it changes it, right? The more layers, it, and at least it survives the kids a bit better. So memorizing is about repetition. And so what I, if I was going to memorize this verse, and I tackled it the first service, so hopefully I remember some of it. Usually I just try to say it about 10 times, the first few times with my eyes open looking at what I'm reading until I feel like I've got a handle on it, and then I just start closing my eyes and trying to repeat it. And once you do it about 10 times, it's usually there, but then you come back the next day, do it five more times, the next day three more times, whatever it takes. And just closing your eyes as soon as you think you've got a handle on it, and then testing once you're done. You know, you feel like, oh, it's a bit wobbly there. Where exactly does the with him part come in? You open your eyes. But So it'd be something like this. I would just got my hands out using my fingers. This is the main reason God gave us fingers, is so that we can count out how many lines we've memorized. Okay, maybe that's pushing it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So on a long sentence like this, I would tackle it in, in two halves. It's, uh, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Sometimes I bounce because it helps me feel the words a little bit. But you know, you got to get everything into it. And you can even try to get a bit of a rhythm. That's why we sing songs, because you put words to music, and then all of a sudden you cannot forget the words anymore, even if you wish you could. Oh, baby, baby, how was I supposed to know? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Okay, so I've said it five times, so I'm about ready to start closing my eyes, but for you, I'll just turn. So, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So I felt pretty confident, but I can check. Okay, okay, I think I got it right. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And so I would do that until I've got a handle on it, and then maybe tackle the second half. So... Then I would just start from the fresh again. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So get a little bit of pattern. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so I can close my eyes there. And if I'm really feeling like I got this one, then I can start right from the beginning. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then just kind of go on from there. But just using my fingers ten times through, first few times with my eyes open, then following up with my eyes closed, that is a way you can do it. And then if you come back to it the next day with a few times, and then the day after that, and then a week later, and just you can just revisit it. If you want to maintain it, you just revisit it once or twice a week and you're good to go. There was a guy when I was at college who was a performer who had actually memorized the entire Gospel of Luke. And this was kind of his thing for years. He would just go places and recite and kind of act out the entire Gospel of Luke. And it's kind of how you do it. Just add a verse on 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 a verse and away you go. Good? Today I want to talk about how God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, and how that means that he will also graciously give us all things. Last week when we were together, we were, I was just pretty much speaking about how God is for us. And in order to explain that part where it says, what shall we say to these things, we talked a little about what the things were that we were called to respond to by believing 
that the God of the universe is actually for us. Remember we talked about how um, in a fallen world like we are, where mankind has rebelled against God, our natural instinct, the flesh, the sinful nature, is actually to not even want God, but to instead try to find something he made, whether it's a person or a thing, and then declare that this is the savior of the world, to worship a cow or worship a goat or worship somebody, an elephant with an elephant head and six arms or to worship the government or to worship ourselves and our own capabilities, to find something God made and worship that instead of the true God. And that even when we do begin to learn something about God or become kind of spiritual, that tends to just produce pride in us. Watch out when a friend of yours starts to become spiritual. They, they Guaranteed, they think they're better than you. Right? Because the human heart takes spiritual knowledge, learning, whatever, whether it's true or false, and our, our response is to tend to become proud and not humble. The more we learn about God, we tend to think we're becoming better than people instead of learning that the more we learn about God, how far short we fall from His glory and goodness and become more humble and contrite and repentant. That's not natural for people. And we talked about how even as Christians, when we do get saved, we have this bent towards not trusting our Heavenly Father and not um, just abandoning ourselves to Him, but instead we have this thing in us that wants to keep turning back to sin, called the flesh. And how it was amazing that despite all these realities, instead of God just saying, I'm washing my hands of you guys, I'm just going to destroy you, the lake of fire for everybody, um, God has sent his son Jesus to die for us and to gift us with the gift of righteousness in his sight through faith in his son and to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that he transforms us from the inside out to become the kind of people he wants us to be. And so we really can, all we can say is, wow, God is for us with all he's done. And Paul wants to, the Apostle Paul who wrote this scripture through the Holy Spirit, wants to take it even a step further in convincing us that God is for us and that we are called to live lives of of real faith in the Father because of who He is and what He's done. And so verse 32 is a question. It's a rhetorical question, which is a question that doesn't look for an answer but is saying something. So a real question is like, so what do you guys want to have for lunch? Because it's 12 o'clock right now, and so everybody, you're getting the, the, the singing noises are coming from down below. What do you want to have for lunch? And somebody says, oh, come on. She says, sushi, that, I'm not going to be able to finish this message now. Does somebody want to order in? So there's got to be skip the dishes that will drive out to Steinbeck. Um, that is a question that wants an answer. A rhetorical question doesn't want, a, want an answer, such as, how could you be so stupid? Whoever says that isn't expecting you to say, well, when I was a kid, I was inhaled a lot of glue and not the ooh-hoo stuff, like the, the shoe repair stuff. And, that, and then I ate some paint chips and then there was an accident with a combine. That's how I got to be so stupid. It's not that kind of question. When someone says, how could you be so stupid? They mean, I think you're really stupid. When the Apostle Paul says, he who did not spare his own son, meaning God the Father, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What he's saying is, this God 
who was willing to sacrifice his own son will most certainly without fail also give to us all things graciously. That's what it means. Amen? That's what he's saying. It is impossible to think that God, having sacrificed his son, would then turn around and keep any good and necessary thing from us for any reason. That's the point. So let's unpack this. You already know the answer now. Let's just dive into it a bit more. Why is it impossible to think that the father having not spared his son, he, he will, because he's for us, graciously give us all things. I want to start off just by looking a little bit at the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Most Canadians, and I know you are all the exception to what I'm about to say, so ego's intact, most Canadians do not spend, especially Christians, or I mean Canadian Christians, do not spend a ton of time thinking about what it is like for God to be God. Okay? Most Canadian Christians, if we're going to be thinking about God, are thinking about what he's doing for us or what he hasn't done for us and why we're upset about that. Or what he's done recently for us that we're excited about. But we tend to dwell in what the last week has been like and how that measures up to what we feel like God should be doing for us or did do for us. And he, so he measured up and he gets the praise or he didn't measure up and we're grumbling. That seems to be the realm. How, how is, how, it's kind of like a bit of a, what have you done for me lately, God theology? Amen? Does that make any sense? And I know you're all the exception because I know you and love you. And we're going to have Christmas together sometime soon, and we want that to be peaceful. But I'm just making a generalization. I think that Canadian Christian culture does not spend a ton of time just sitting and thinking and going, God, what is it like for you to be you? Apart from me, like if I never existed, what would it be like for you to be you? Without any special interest or self-concern, what is it like for you to be you? And even if we do ask that question, it is really rare that we would ever ask the question, God, what was it like for you to be you before anything else was made? You ever wondered that? God, what were you doing before you started making things? The answer to that question, part of the answer, is that God was having the most gigantic, joy-filled, love-fest party before he ever started making anything. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have been forever enjoying mutual joy, mutual love, mutual honor, mutual praise, mutual encouragement, mutual satisfaction, mutual delight, and mutual party time for all eternity past. What was it like for God to be God since forever? It's been a blast. Because the Father loves the Son and has been enjoying Him forever. Let me show you some stuff from Scripture. I wish I could take you through a lot of stuff, but I won't. Okay, so John chapter 1. 
You don't have to flip there. I'll read. I'll be there with you. John chapter 1. John beginning his gospel, a story about the Lord Jesus Christ. He writes this. In the beginning was the Word. And he's echoing Genesis chapter 1 at the beginning of creation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word will be revealed to be Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Okay, so already, if you think about it, there's a lot of brain matter leaking out of a lot of ears. How is anything both with God and is God? Right off the bat, there's something unique about the God of the Christians. We call it the Trinity, that there can be a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit, how each one of them are God, the one true God, and they together are the one true God. And it, it hurts your brains, but it is true. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, flash forward 17 chapters or 16 and a bit chapters to when Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God, who became flesh and walked amongst us and taught and has had a physical mom and an adopted human dad, and he's about to go to the cross and he's having a time of prayer with his father. <coughs> Excuse me. And in chapter 17 it says this, When Jesus, who had spoken these words, had li- He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth and have accomplished the work that you gave me, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Okay, so I'm building a bit of a case here. Number one, Jesus Christ was God and was with God in the beginning. Number two, Jesus is saying, God, I was with you in glory in the beginning. So Jesus just wasn't sitting there in a dark corner somewhere. He was the glory of God and glorified by God before anything was made and was anticipating at this moment to die on the cross and go to the grave and come out of the grave and ascend back to heaven into a state of unlimited glory like he always had before the world was even made. Are you follow me at least a little bit? Now here's this son who is always with his father and who said that I was always glorified with you and that the father enjoyed giving Christ his glory for all eternity. How does this father feel about his son? There's lots of different places you could go in the Gospels, but here's one. Jesus was being baptized before he had done anything besides be born. He goes to be baptized by John, and this is what it says, verse 10 of Mark chapter 1. It says, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, And the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So I could keep finding more verses for you, but I just want to take these as examples. Jesus was always with his Father, and from eternity past it was a glory party because the Father has always loved his Son and has been well pleased in him. 
And the son in turn has looked to the father and said, Father, you're amazing. I love you too, and I am pleased in you too. And the Holy Spirit is there saying the equivalent of group hug. I love you too, guys, and I am pleased with you too. And it has just been this amazing love relationship forever. That is what it's like for God to be God. It is a father and a son in overflowing love and joy since forever and forever, and it will never end. I know it's hard to think about this stuff, but it's true. What's God when he's like, what is God like at home? Angry, right? Bitter, lonely, stressed? No. In God's heart of heart, he is overflowing with delight in his son. That's what it's like to be the father. You, you're always seeing everything it means to be Jesus and you love it all. And you never sleep. Why is God satisfied all the time? Because he's always looking at the glories of his son. Why, why in the depths of him, though sometimes he's angry and sometimes he shows wrath and sometimes he interacts with us in his heart of heart, he's always happy because he's always seeing the glory of his son and loves his son and delights in his son. This is, it doesn't get any deeper in the feelings of God, than delight in his son. What is the father like? He loves his son. And he's pleased in his son. Okay, we kind of need to know this. Father, what are you like? I love Jesus. That is the first answer. What's God like? He loves <laughs> Jesus. Always has, always will. One day they were having a particularly great day and boom, creation happened out, out of it. They're just like, this is so good. We need to share this with somebody. How do you want this to happen? Let's start with a planet. How about some image bearers? Yeah. Okay, so this is the beginning. And this is why it is for Paul, for the Spirit, he wants us to get. If there was anything in the universe that it would make sense that God would not afflict, if there was anyone in the universe that we would think God would not emotionally or mentally or anything will to afflict, it would be the sun. Right? When is the last time you thought, I just love this thing so much, I'm just going to afflict it and destroy it. I love my kids so much. They, you know, they come home and it's just, then they, it, they don't fight with their siblings and they, they say nice things and they decide to mow the lawn out of their own free will. You just think, great, I'm going to crucify them because I love them so much. It, it doesn't make sense. And this is part of the point. This is part of Paul's argument. If there was anything in the universe that God would say, I will do anything to save sinners except this, the one thing would be to not afflict the delight of his soul by sending his son Jesus to the cross. Does that make sense? 
Are you tracked with me here a little bit? I know as Christians, we're used to saying Jesus went to the cross and it's a good thing. Hold on a sec. If there is one thing that the Father would reserve from ever having to experience shame or ever having to experience rejection, if there is one person that God should have said, I will never treat this person like a sinner, it should have been his son. Like, Like the son of God. The glory of God. Everything it means to be the Father in shining glory. That's Jesus. If there is one being who God should have said, I will never expose to open shame and humiliation a person, it should have been Jesus. Amen? But instead, God chose to not spare him. God didn't spare him having to become a human being. God didn't spare him having to become a lowly servant. God didn't spare him having to be misunderstood by even his friends. God didn't spare him having his mom think he was crazy. God didn't spare him a close friend in Judas who was going to betray him. God didn't spare him sleepless nights or getting tired from long walks. God did not spare him getting afflicted by satanic attacks of temptation. God did not spare him having to go to a mock trial where he was going to get everything but justice. God did not spare him having his head cut open with thorns, or his head beaten with sticks, or his back flayed with whips. God did not spare him being publicly mocked as as the true king of Israel by people who thought he was not the king of Israel. God did not spare him the blows. God God did not spare him having his disciples abandon him right when he was going to save them. God did not spare him from the hanging and suffocation after having nails driven through his hands and feet. God did not spare him the public exposure of being hung naked in front of his enemies so that the women could only look from far off because they didn't want to go close and see him with no clothes on. God did not spare him that moment when Jesus cried out, My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, the Son of God was forsaken as a sinner by his Father. And if it weren't true, I should I should almost actually be stoned for saying these things out loud. This is so near blasphemy to say that God could treat God as a sinner. It is so close to blasphemy that somebody should want to pick up a chair and throw it at me right now, unless it were true. And there are places in the world where they will kill you for saying less than this. But it is true. And because that death was not a true rejection, but was treating Christ as we deserved, and because that punishment was not a true just punishment, but Jesus sacrificing himself in our place, it turns out that the cross is the wisdom of God and not the foolishness of God. Amen? But this is the point. Paul wants us to understand the generous character of the Father. 
Guys, he already gave you the most important thing he could ever give you, his most treasured possession, which is his son, in the most brutal way that you needed to receive it. What should we think about his character in this life? And what should our expectations be for the next one? The answer is, we should say, my father will also give me everything along with that, that man, Christ Jesus. If giving me Jesus was the last thing God should have done, the fact that he did it means that everything else is small potatoes. Everything else is small potatoes. Everything else is easy to give you. Amen? This is part of the thing. Everything else is easy for God to give us. Everything. Everything else besides his son through death. That The son through death is impossible to give us, but God still did it. Everything else is easy, 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 easy. You need a planet? God's like, I can do planets. I can do planet. Don't worry. New heavens, new earth. Rob Major. It's going to take you 17 million years to get there. It's yours, Rob. No problem. You're going to have lava fields. No problem. But you'll have a new body. You'll be able to walk in those lava fields. You can do what you want. Turn them into diamonds. Make a mudslide. Whatever. It's good. Need a planet? Need a sun? I'm making suns all the time. Blowing them up, making new ones, blowing them up, making new ones, blowing them up, making new ones. Easy. You know what the hard thing is? The hard thing is for God to become a man and die as a sacrifice for sinners so that they can be saved and live with me forever and I can accept them as children instead of rejecting them as sinners. That's the hard part. The easy part is everything else. Amen? That's the point of this verse. What does God graciously give us along with Christ? The most important thing is his love. The most important thing is his love. The, the thing that God, Paul wants us to get is that along with Jesus, we get all the love of the Father. Verse 37, so spoiler alert, this is where we're going in the sermon series. Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. He says that last line, so that we don't think, well, you didn't mention this, you didn't mention health crisis, you didn't mention financial ruin, you didn't mention the economy, you didn't mention that, Paul. Anything else in all creation, just in case I miss stuff with all the other nors, nor, 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 nor. He's trying to list all the stuff in there, but we, you know, little lawyers, the little sin lawyers in our hearts go, you didn't mention my situation. Anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God, the Father in Christ Jesus. And this is exactly what Jesus was praying for. So skipping back to John 17 again, remember where Jesus was talking about anticipating getting re-glorified in God's presence again. And we can talk about what that means. But at the end of that prayer, and this prayer is so holy, it's like the Son of God is talking out loud to the Father God. And by the mercies of God, John is able to faithfully transcribe this for us. Jesus actually prays for us in this prayer. He, he prays for his disciples, and then he also prays for everyone else who will come to believe through the apostles' teaching. And this is what he prays. He says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, which is us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they all may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. 
The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfect, so that the world may know that you've sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Here is Jesus' prayer. Father, these are the things I want you to do so that even the world will see that you love everyone who comes to believe in the message the same way you've loved me. And this is profound because we can do this, maybe you're just me, but we can kind of have like a, forgive me if this offends, I'm trying to hit a point and I might flub it, but we can kind of have like a stepchild love attitude towards God. Yeah, God really loves Jesus, but I'm just kind of in there. I'm just not really part of the family. I get the leftovers. I'm like the middle child. I'm like the redheaded child. I'm just, you know, I'm kind of in there, but I'm not as loved as much as the other one. We kind of anticipate, maybe we'll go to heaven and we'll see the Father. He really loves Jesus. And then he looks to Rob and he's kind of like, oh yeah, you're here too. Yeah, great. Hey God, can I come along for the day trip today? Sure. Oh, you heard about that? Oh, right. Okay, sure. Uh... Oh, yeah, maybe you can go in the back of the van. There's like 17 billion rows. Way to the back, way to the back. Jesus sits up front, you go way to the back. And instead, what is it actually that Jesus is praying for? And what is it actually that God gives us? The same love that the Father has loved his perfect Son with for all eternity, a love so passionate and pure that it exploded into all of creation, that same pure, glorious love that wants to give to that person everything that belongs to the Father, that exact same love is the love that the Father has for everyone who comes to believe in the message of Christ. Thank you. Christian, the point of the mission of Christ was to make you worthy and bring you home and bring you to the love of the Father that is the exact same kind of love that Jesus has been enjoying since all eternity past with nothing missing and nothing lost. Which is why Paul would say, everything else is easy and not that important. If God would do this thing to take a sinner, and I am a real sinner, I really did not want to come to Jesus. I was interested in so many different religions and so many different things and so many different sins, and some friends started trying to tell me about Jesus, and I was like, that guy sounds like a jerk. (laughs) I really hope that one's not true. That was my literal response. I am telling you the truth before God. 18 years old, getting told about the love of God, thinking, he sounds really mean. I really hope this isn't the truth. And his plan was to save me, and open up my eyes, and make me realize I was totally wrong, so that I could come to a place where all the love that the Father has for the Son will be mine forever the hardest thing in the universe. That is the hardest thing to accomplish in the universe. God God has done it, is doing it, has done it a billion times already, and will not stop until the day that Jesus comes back. 
That's when you know he'll be done. The sky will be torn open and the king of glory will be revealed and the dead will come out of their graves either to salvation or to judgment. That's when you know. It's the hardest thing in the world is to slay God to save sinners and God did it. Everything else is easy. Okay, so the, what, am I, what am I even trying to say here? I'm trying to say that from now on, God will graciously, by grace, as a free gift, because he loves to give, give you his love. That's pretty, pretty awesome. He also will give you, at the right time, all of creation. Just a few verses earlier... Paul talking about giving the spirit of adoption into our hearts in order to give us the victory against the flesh and indwelling sin inside of us. He said, you do not receive, this is verse 15, you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, and yes you are, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. Christian, you're a fellow heir of Christ. You cannot see anything in this world that won't belong to you in some sense pretty soon. When Christ's return, like right now, he is the owner of all things. When God raised him from the grave, he gave him all things. But right now, lots of stuff isn't in submission to him. Lots of stuff is in rebellion to him. Lots of stuff isn't used for him. But he literally owns everything right now by right of resurrection and creation. It's his because he made it, and it's his because he's redeeming it from the dead. But right now, everything belongs to him. And you're his kid. And when Jesus comes back, everything that is in rebellion to him is gone. Everything that's in rejection of him is into the lake of fire. And all that's going to be left is this purified new heavens and the new earth. And when God unrules the deed of possession, it's going to start with Jesus. And then it's going to have all of our names on everything. Everything, everything will belong to us. Every sea, every ocean, every plant, every bird, everything. Everything will belong to us. Physics belongs to us. Biology belongs to us. Everything that God has made, you are an heir of it. And sometimes you can get hung up on the name it, claim it theology right now because we're not all the way there yet. And some people think we're a little bit too far ahead and they start walk up to the Lambos and they'll be like, I claim this a Lamborghini. And it's kind of like, not yet. Right now you've got to pay for stuff. Soon. Just wait. Just get hit by a bus and then Jesus will come back and then it'll be yours. Or get the Lambo and then ride it into a telephone pole and then... It'll really be yours. But I'm saying stuff like that because we, as Canadians, tend to, again, like I say, we spend our relationship with God in the last five days and the next five days. And we forget that really, really soon we're dead. And then pretty soon after that, Jesus comes back and then it's all ours. There isn't one thing. This is the crazy thing. There is not one thing that Satan can tempt you with right now that isn't already yours, if you wait. There isn't, there isn't one thing that Satan can tempt you with now that is not already yours. If you just wait, you'll get it. This is the craziest thing in the world. And it happened in the garden too, or during a Bible study. Satan says, eat the fruit. You'll be like God and you'll know good and evil. And the fruit is delicious. Guess what? 
They had all the delicious fruit in the world they wanted. They were already made in the image of God. And if they just kicked that Satan out, they would have known good and evil too, but just not from the inside. They got tempted with what was already theirs. Aha! It's like that old joke, that guy could sell a refrigerator to an Eskimo, or Inuit, or a Nuktuk, or whatever, whatever is the right label. Satan sold them what was already there. And all temptation is Satan trying to get you to reach out and grab what is already yours, just not yet. Wonderful. Okay, well, let's talk about the important stuff. What about today? Because most of us in our lives, if we think about it, would probably say it sure doesn't feel like God is ready to graciously give us all things right now. Because there are all kinds of things I wish I could have that I don't have. Amen? Am I the only one? All kinds of things. I wish, I just, I want it right now, and I'm not getting it right now. I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm doubting. This is why we need verses like this. Because if I just look at the last five days, the last month of my life, it sure looks like God is really happy to withhold things from me. Even a close experience with Jesus sometimes. Amen? That's the problem? Okay, two responses to that kind of thing. Number one. Christians really need to hurt in order to be of any use in this life. Your average Canadian Christian is totally useless to God until they start to really hurt. True. I don't like to say it, but it's true. So much technology, so much comfort, so much money, so much everything. We are nearly useless in the kingdom of God until we've really been bruised. Until we see how sinful we actually are, that God has not done us just a little favor by saving us, but actually rescued a worthless thing. We're, we're uncompassionate, self-absorbed, uh, kind of feel like we're doing God a favor every time we do any little thing for him. Until we've really been broken, we're not that useful to him. Many of us really just need the troubles we go through to, have, to really value Christ at all. I, I'm, but I'm just in chapter 8 again. You are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We actually need it. We need the hurts, we need the disappointments, we need the despair. If we don't suffer with him, we aren't actually heirs. Christ went to the cross. He suffered, he died, he got rejected. And every once in a while, God will help us to walk a crossroad in some way to know him and to walk with him, to become like him. It really hurts. Like, it really hurts. It really hurts. Like it really hurts. But often this is actually a gracious gift from the Father so that we can know Jesus and treasure Jesus and serve Jesus in this life. And we know that these are true for other people, but for us, no thanks. Right? So, so can we work on that? Can we just say, maybe the stuff I'm going through is actually the Father's gift to me so that I can treasure Jesus. Maybe that what's going on right now is actually the Father's gift to me so that I can know Christ and serve Him and be of value to Him. It, it, and it just really hurts. And in the midst of that, 
I think that any one of us can go into confidence in any day believing that God will give us every single thing we need in order to faithfully know and walk with Christ. Anything we actually need. Not the list of stuff. Not the list. You got your list, you got your mind list. If I just had this, then everything would be okay. If this just went away, then everything would be fine. If I could just get over here and get that thing and this job with that person. You know, I just need the Lambo and a bimbo. I just need a hunk of man and a hunk of cheesecake. I just need a nice house and kids and a lot of kids and then a nanny who will take care of the kids so I can get some me time and, and somebody to come and clean the house. Why did they even want the house and the kids? You know, you get stuck there a little bit sometimes. We got our lists. And God hasn't promised us to give us our lists. In fact, sometimes he says our lists are like wanting to not know him. We want things that actually lead us away from Christ. And God says, I'm not going to participate with those lists because you're my kid. But any of us can walk into any day fully convinced that God is for us. And because he did not spare his son, he will actually graciously give me today everything I need in order to faithfully serve him and overcome today. Amen? Well, I can stop there. So what, is it, what do these truths do for us? I think that they can hit us in two ways, okay? The main thing is that Paul is calling each one of us to be radically, 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 radically abandoned to Christ. Radically confident in him, therefore I give everything to him. This is the big thing. If God did not spare his own son for us and will graciously, for free, give us everything we need to serve him, give us every spiritual excuse me, gift we need to overcome, everything we need to endure, everything, every um, hard situation, every pain we need in order to be useful to him, in order to be measuring up and walking a crosswalk life, and after all that stuff, just everything along with his presence and love, every single minute of the way, the proper response is to say, I'm all in God, I'm all in, I'm all in, you're 100% for me in Christ, and I want to be 100% for you, I want to become kingdom-minded, I want to become Christ-minded, I don't want to be self-absorbed anymore, I want to be Christ absorbed. I want to be God the Father's love absorbed. I'm giving it all in. And what this does is it overcomes two major fears that we have in North American life. Uh, The fear of missing out, which is sometimes called FOMO. FOMO. FOMO day. Fear of missing out and also fear of losing something. I'm making this one up. So it's called fools or sometimes I just think, Let's call it fools, and we'll just call it fear of of losing something, because then it, the acronym works, fear of of lose, losing something. So how does the fear of losing something work? Many of us get really hung up on the idea that God could take something away from us or let something be taken away from us. Amen? You ever been there? A relationship, a kid, a um, Money, a thing, a job, an accomplishment, your health. Um, I just couldn't live if I lost this thing. God, I don't want you to take this thing away from me, right? I am afraid of losing this thing, Father. And, and the, the truth is, is that when we say to God, if we ever get around to acknowledging it, that we're afraid of losing this thing, we're talking to the one who is ready to give us everything. I'm afraid of losing this thing, Father, who's given me Christ and your love and all of heaven and earth. And so what we're called to do when we're experiencing, I'm afraid of losing this thing, my wife's health or whatever, 
family members when you turn to Jesus or a spouse when you turn to Jesus or your kids rejecting you, whatever it is. I'm afraid of losing this thing. What we do right away is we just give it to God in prayer. You just, that's, how, that's the only way forward. You say, I'm afraid of, okay, I give it to you, God. I lose it right now. I'm giving it to you, Father. I give you my wife. I give you my husband. I give you my kids. I give you my parents and their salvation, whether it happens or not. And my family member and their salvation, whether it happens or not. My health, whether they ever get better. My wife's health, if she ever gets better. My kids, and if they ever follow you, I just give it to you right now because I'm afraid of losing it. And you're the one who gives me everything. So I give it to you right now. Because I can't even keep this stuff. You're the one who's in charge of everything and you've proven to me that your attitude towards me is unbelievable generosity so I'm just going to give it all back to you right now and help me be faithful. Amen? That's the fear of, of losing out or losing something. And you, you probably have it. If I give my life to Jesus 100%, I'm afraid I'm going to lose this thing. If I just come to a place where I'm just going to abandon myself and trust and I'm going to let go of the white-knuckled grip, I'm afraid I'm going to lose this thing. But that fear is so unworthy of the generosity of my Father. So I just give it to you now in prayer. I'm not going to make any rash decisions, not going to make any set of movements, but in my heart I give it to you and lead me. Amen? The other thing, and it's really close to this, is the fear of missing out. If I give my life to Jesus, I'm going to miss out on a great experience. I'm going to miss out on owning something. I'm going to miss out on an accomplishment. I'm going to miss out on some entertainment. I'm going to miss out on wanting to do what I want to do. That's the big one, right? If I give myself to Jesus, I'm going to miss out on getting to do what I want to do. Okay, anybody who's been a Christian for over 15 years... How often has getting to do what you want to do turned out good for you? Put up your hand if you can say, when I got to do what I wanted to do, it was awesome. Nobody, somebody. Can we just look around? I know we're in a crowd and everyone's embarrassed already just to be here listening to me, but the reality is that us getting to do what we want to do usually is swallowing a hand grenade. And then you realize the pin is still in your mouth. The truth is, we worship a Father, and we, we know there's going to be suffering, right? There's nothing anybody can do. You can hate God with all your heart, and your life will be filled with pain. And you can try to preserve yourself and get the dough and get the babes and get the guy and get all this stuff, and your life will still be so painfully empty. We just cannot escape in this life suffering. The only question is, is this going to be a gift from the Father or is it going to be a gift from the dark Father? Is this going to be a, full of deception and lies or is this going to be part of your glorious story in Jesus Christ? That's the difference. And so fear of missing out, what is that? That is thinking, if I give myself all in with God, he's probably not going to give himself all in with me. Maybe my purpose in life won't happen. Maybe he doesn't totally know what I'm here on earth for and doesn't actually want to use me for that. Maybe something will be taken away from me. Maybe I'll be disappointed. Maybe something will happen. Look, life is going to be so confusing. People are going to die too young. People are going to die too late. People are going to get sick at the wrong time. People are going to get healthy at the wrong time if there is such a thing. People are going to have too much money at the bad time and not enough money at the right time. We know this is what life is going to be like. And we know that God will work in all of that and over all of that and through that as we trust him. 
But the only way to actually have your life be the life you're supposed to have is by looking to God in faith and saying, do, do the life that you're supposed to without trying to judge. Amen? Knowing that God's character is that he already gave us Jesus through the cross. Everything else is easy, and maybe we shouldn't actually want what he doesn't want to give us. Yeah, I do think that. Somebody wondered if I thought that. You ever gotten something and it turned out just to own your life and be a total pain in the patoot? Man, ever since I bought that thing, all I do is worry about that thing. I wish I was missing out. There's this FOMO, fear of missing out. Now apparently there's this new thing called JOMO, which is the joy of missing out. (laughs) Social media, you just cannot make up your mind. I'm so glad I don't own a boat in winter. So I can have to drive around it on my driveway. If you own a boat in winter, that's fine. See you next summer. All I'm trying to say is this. If God is who he says he is and is as generous to us as he says he is, we have no cause to fear losing anything and no cause to fear missing out on anything because he actually is the most generous father and loves us with his whole heart. So why don't we stand together and worship? I'm going to say a prayer for us. The application of all these messages is the same. Let's continue to give ourselves to the Father for all of his good pleasure and his good plan. It's going to look different than what we expect or might write for ourselves. It just is going to. It's totally going to look different than we expect. That's God's way, but it it will still be good as we keep our eyes fixed on him. So Father, here we are underneath this truth the most impossible thing in the world that God the Father could give his son for sinners through death. You did. Part of why you did that was because you wanted to give your son a gift. And that gift is us, a people redeemed by his blood who love him and will be with him forever. Father, thank you for making us a gift for Jesus. And Father, would you perfect this gift that you're giving the son by filling our hearts full of confidence of your generosity that you will always take care of us no matter how it looks on paper. And give us joy in Jesus. Set us free from grumbling. Lord, help us to give everything that we want to keep over to your son, Jesus.